Hello and welcome to the Thrive Online Podcast. This is our sermon series podcast and I wanted to thank you for joining us today. As we get going, I wanted to say that whether you are tuning in today from the car, the gym, or even your work or home, we pray that today's message inspires you and that it gives you hope and builds your faith. So let's lean in, turn up the volume, and get excited as we get ready to learn today. How is everyone today? Hope you're doing well. Hey, last week was 4th of July. How many of you guys had a good 4th of July? Wasn't it awesome? It was so great. Man, did anybody go to the fireworks show? Uh, favorite firework. What's your favorite type of firework? Anybody? Just show, shout it out there. The spark. I like the, like the big fireworks. I like the ones that are like the weeping willow ones where they go up and then they just kind of fall down. They kind of look really cool. Although I've seen some really cool ones online like uh, where they like go up and they spiral and then it's like this big spiral firework. But we don't have those here because those are really expensive. But man, 4th of July is such a fun time because it's a time to celebrate. I think celebrating is always a good thing. And I want to just take a moment and celebrate you if you are a first-time guest um, or you're here for the second time kind of checking out Thrive Church. We just want to say thank you for being here. Uh, we know how, um, how much courage it can take uh, to come and to be a part of someplace new. And, and so um, we would just love it if you would let us know that you're here with us, uh, maybe by just sharing some information. You can do that by filling out a connection card. There's a physical card in front of you. You can grab one of those and fill it out, or you can go and use this QR code right here, and you can scan that um, either off the screen or in the program that you received and fill out a connection card. Let us know that you are here, ways that we can communicate with you, maybe answer some questions you have about the church, um, and share any prayer requests. And for the rest of us who are regular thrivers, it's always good to just occasionally fill out one of those cards to make sure that we have the correct information. You can share with us prayer requests. You can share with us how God's moving in your life. We love to celebrate that as well. And, and so if you would do that for us, at least on occasion, even if you're calling Thrive Home, it'd be great uh, for us to know that you're just checking in and letting us know how things are going. The other thing I want to just make uh, clear to you at the end of the gathering, uh, we always take a moment to worship God in, in two very specific ways, through our giving and through communion. And so we'll be doing at the end of the gathering, and uh, we want to make both of those really easy for you. So um, what we've done is uh, we've created a little QR code that you can scan if you want to give digitally. Um, that's a totally great way to give. If you want to give in person, we have two offering boxes right back by the center doors. Well, this morning, um, we are excited about what, um, what we're going through right now. We're going through a series called Flawed, and I'm really excited about it. Not because I like talking about flawed things, but because I think all of us can relate to it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And I do want to say this as a guest, if you're a guest with us this morning, as we're going through this study, we're looking at people in Scripture who God used who had flawed lives, which, if we want to be honest with ourselves, is basically anyone that's in the Bible that God used was somebody who was flawed. And it actually kind of points to what we say on a regular basis here at Thrive. In fact, I love this series because it's kind of the heart of, of who we are. We recognize that we are imperfect people becoming the church on the mission with Jesus to bring hope and healing to the world. We recognize that, that we are flawed people. We're saved by grace, and we're made righteous in God's sight, but we are still human, we still struggle, and we don't always uh, live the Christian life that God's calling us to perfectly. 
Amen? Can we all just agree on that? If anybody here says they do it perfectly, I'd like to talk to you after church, figure out what you're doing right, <laughs> okay? We're all flawed. We all make mistakes. We all struggle um, with sin. We all struggle making wise choices. And my prayer is this, that if you are a guest with us, that as you kind of observe and as you lean in and engage with everything that's going on here this morning, um, that you would uh, begin to kind of feel that Thrive is a home for you and that the people that you meet would feel like your favorite cousin or your fun uncle, right? That they'd start to feel like the person you look forward to seeing every single week, like not like your weird Aunt Dolores, right? We don't, we don't want any weird Aunt Dolores, right? You guys all know what I'm talking about. Family reunion, there's always one that everybody's kind of like, you're a little different, and that's okay, right? <laughs> like, we all have that person. We want Thrive to be a place where you feel at home, you feel welcome, even if you do meet in Aunt Dolores, okay? We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're in uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, um, I want to read it for you. You can read along in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it on our Sky Bible. Um, and this is what it says. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Everybody say reality. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. Say evidence. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Faith is the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things we cannot see. The goal of this series isn't to focus on the failures of these people that we're going to look at. We don't need to look at more failure. There's plenty of failure around us in the world already. Amen? <laughs> We don't need to emphasize that. So what we want to do is we want to look at how God redeemed these flawed humans by their faith in him, by their faith in him. And last week, one of the things we said was this, that faith is expressed through action. Faith is expressed through action. Our belief in something moves us to action by faith. I gave the example last week that, that all of us that came into this building, we believe that this building is sound and secure, and so by faith, we walk into the building trusting that it's going to be a safe place to be. Our belief moves us to action in faith. And so we look at these heroes' lives, and we're going to look at how they've been transformed by, their, transformed by their faith in God in spite of the flaws that they have. So before we do that, I want to pray over our time together that the Holy Spirit would speak louder to your hearts than my voice, and that you would receive what God wants for you to receive from this message this morning. Would you join me as I pray? Well, Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would have your way, that, that our agenda or whatever we walked in here with, whatever expectations we had would, um, would be set aside for what you have for us. God, we want to hear from your your Holy Spirit, we want you to move in our lives to transform us, that, that you would move us one step closer into a deeper relationship with you today, that none of us would be the same leaving today as we came in. And God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your voice, give us eyes to see you moving in our lives, give us hearts open to the change that is needed and the courage to obey whatever you ask us to do in response to what we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a question for you. I'm kind of curious uh, how many people um, would, what you guys would say to this question. I'm curious if you can guess how many people in our kind of on average in America have been a victim of a, a scam, a, a fraud. Maybe they had their identity stolen or maybe their social media got hacked. Anybody have any guesses on the average number of people? How many would say, like, I'm going to give you three options. How many of you say at least 
Okay? How many would say it's probably closer to 50%? Show of hands. Closer to 50. How many would say it's 90%? Okay? A survey that was done by one poll and MoneyGram of 2,000 Americans polled that 90% of those polled had been a victim of at least one con. Think about that. Um, I know Megan and I can raise our hands. We had somebody steal our, our bank account information once. That's never fun, right? <laughs> right? Uh, and so the reality is this, that 63% of those studied were victims of a scam, specifically a, uh, a romantic scam and or a money scam, asking or desiring money from someone, right? We've all maybe gotten that email about the African prince that needs some money. Anybody get that, right? 56% have been victims of fraud. Uh, 54% had their social media accounts hacked. And 49% had been victims of a data breach. Like, we, company has our information. That company has their information stolen. There's a data breach, right? Being a victim like this doesn't feel good, right? It kind of makes us feel a little bit vulnerable. Kind of doesn't sit right with us. Now, have you ever wondered what it, would, what it would be like to be the kind of person that would want to do something like this? Have you ever thought about the type of person that would want to scam somebody or defraud somebody or steal from somebody? Like, thinking about that mindset, maybe it's because they, they feel like they're owed something that they never had. Or maybe they feel like um, they, they are just trying to get ahead in life, and this is the only way that they think that they can do it. Or maybe they're just evil, right? Like maybe they're just evil people. I don't know what it is that kind of makes people want to do this, but there's always something that's driving and it's usually always very selfish and it's usually always uh, very much about their benefit and not anyone else. And the truth is having all these happen to you by a stranger can really sting. Now imagine if it was a family member. Imagine if it was a family member who, who, who did this to you. And what if I told you that there's a story in the Bible just like this, of a family who had someone basically defraud them. <laughs> In Genesis chapter 12, we begin to read about a man named Abram, who was later called Abraham. Abraham was chosen because of his faithfulness in serving God to be the father of many nations. And at one point, uh, he, and his wife, uh, he and his wife Sarah had no children. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Sarah later in a couple weeks, but that there was this, this tension. They had no child, and God had promised them that they'd be a father, he'd be a father of many nations, and so God provides a child for them in a miraculous way. God does something that no one expected to happen, and so this son is born, this son Isaac is born, and, and so what we're going to do is we're going to jump ahead to Isaac's sons, Esau and Jacob, for today. Esau and Jacob were twins born to Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was the firstborn son. And in that culture, in that time, the firstborn son was automatically kind of given kind of the keys to the kingdom of the family. That was kind of their, their birthright to when they were old enough and when the father was ready to kind of hand over the family business, to hand over kind of all that the family had amassed in wealth to this firstborn son. And so Esau barely kind of came out of the womb before Jacob it says in the Bible that, um, that, that he barely beat Jacob out of the womb, and Jacob was actually reaching for and grabbing onto the heel of Esau. And so Jacob's name actually means to be a heel planter, a supplanter, or someone who usurps or seizes from someone else. 
As these two young men grew up, obviously as twins, they probably for a while got along, but then they were so different in kind of how they lived life that there was a lot of conflict. Esau loved to go out and to be out in nature and to hunt and to fish and to kind of be that hunter-gatherer, but, but Jacob really enjoyed kind of being at home, cooking and kind of doing things around the house. That was kind of his vibe. That's just what he loved to do, and so they were at odds in how they lived. And one day as, as adults, Esau comes back from going out and foraging and trying to find food for himself and for his family. And he's been out, obviously, for many days, and he's starving, he's hungry. And Jacob had just finished this amazing kind of lentil soup. And, and so Esau comes to him and says, give me some of that soup. Let, actually, let's, let's just do this. Let's read what it says here. Let's read what it says here in Genesis 25, starting in verse 29. It says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob said, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. (laughs) Doesn't seem like a fair trade. (laughs) Look, I'm dying of starvation, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me now? He's very short-sighted. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as a firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Jacob knew his brother. They were twins, right? And I'm not a twin, but I have always kind of been told and understood that twins have a special connection beyond just being a sibling. Like it's just this special connection. And so Jacob knew. He knew how to push his brother's buttons. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, side note here. I just One of the things I always like to kind of talk about here is um, Esau teaches us a very important lesson. Never make a life decision when you're hungry and tired. Right? Like, like this is, if you're hungry and tired, maybe take a nap, eat some food, and then make the big decision for your life, right? But, but Jacob understood something. He understood how to push his brother's buttons. Now, some people here, well, probably nobody here, but some people might say something like this. Well, Jacob really didn't trick Esau. He, he laid it out there. He said, I'll give you soup for your birthright. He didn't force him to give it up. He didn't really deceive his brother. Now, I know none of us would say that because if we would say that, we might also be willing to say that when an African prince emails your grandparents, they're not actually at fault for preying on them, even though they're vulnerable and susceptible to be influenced. Like, I don't think any of us would think that if somebody reached out to somebody we cared about who we knew maybe wasn't always capable of making wise decisions, uh, if they reached out and said, I just need some help, just a little bit will help. And so this person out of the goodness of their heart says, I want to help. I think we would also blame the person who asked, wouldn't we? Because they were targeting them. And I think Jacob truly was targeting his brother in this moment. Maybe we could say that, that this whole connection, this whole thing was just a result of brotherly competition and jealousy. But I would argue that Jacob definitely knew what he was doing to get what he wanted from Esau. Now, here's the thing. Jacob didn't stop with just Esau's birthright. He didn't just stop with wanting to kind of have, the, um, have everything that was supposed to be coming to him. He didn't just stop there. You see, Jacob understood that, that the deal that he made with Esau was only binding truly if he could convince his father to give him the blessing. 
a father's blessing was a very big deal in this time. And so Jacob goes a step further and he decides to deceive his blind, old, dying father, Isaac, with the help of his mother, to steal the paternal blessing that should have been given to Esau. Basically, Jacob cosplayed. (laughs) He dressed up in a costume to act like his brother, he puts on his brother's clothes and he, he uh, takes the, the fur of, a, of an animal and puts it on his skin, on his arms and on his neck and all over so that when his father reaches out to him, he would feel like his brother. Now, Isaac wasn't completely senile. He, he did have some questions. He couldn't see very well. And so he kept asking, is it really you? Is it really you? Because it didn't sound like Esau and, and Jacob probably didn't present himself like Esau. And so he asked him to come close. And when he came close, he could smell the smell that Esau normally had because Jacob was wearing his clothes and he felt his arms and he said, oh yeah, that's definitely not Jacob. And so what happens is the father, Isaac, was deceived. Jacob prepares the meal that his father had requested of Esau and went in and pretending to be him. After Jacob convinced Isaac that he was Esau, this is the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob. From the dew of heaven and the riches of earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. The blessing here was not just a hopeful statement or an empty vow. The blessing was the official transfer at that moment from father to son of the birthright that was owed to the oldest son to the next generation. Jacob knew the moment that he traded soup for Esau's birthright that he would need to deceive his father for the blessing to truly be the one to receive it. This was a long con by Jacob. I want you to just imagine if you were Esau. Imagine if you were Isaac. And someone of your family betrayed you like Jacob. It'd be heart-wrenching. You'd probably be very angry. You'd probably even inside of you, maybe with your mind, maybe not with your actions, want to kill the person that just did that, right? Esau didn't really have that kind of stop button. He actually wanted to kill his brother. And so what happens is Jacob has to run for his life. Now, Jacob was truly a devious person, just as his name implies. And because of that, you know that he might have, you might be tempted. You might be tempted to think like a man like Jacob, who is, who's so devious, who's, who's so um, full of lies, a liar, a, a, a cheater, a deceiver, a trickster. Maybe you would think that, that God could never or would never want to use a man like Jacob. And yet Jacob is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 with all of the other heroes of the faith that are mentioned by Paul as he writes down all these men and women who by faith lived for God. If you didn't read Hebrews and know that Jacob was there, you would read his story. And if you stopped at this point, you'd say, man, Jacob's the worst. He's the worst. How could God or would God ever use him? But God never sees people as too flawed to be of any value for his story of redemption. You may be be even thinking this morning that you too are flawed 
too flawed for God to really use you. Maybe you think, sure, God forgives me, but he doesn't really have a purpose for me because I just can't see how he could use somebody like me, somebody who's made so many mistakes, somebody who's failed so many times. Yes, maybe I'm saved by grace. Maybe I've received that forgiveness, but I still don't feel like God has a purpose for me. Or maybe you're here today and you've never really made that connection with God and you're just kind of living life and you're like, man, I know I'm messed up. I know I've made mistakes. And even if I did come to God today, he could never use me. But I want to tell you something this morning that is simply not the truth. Jacob is proof that none of those things are true about the kind of people God chooses to use to glorify himself and his kingdom. I mean, after all, Jacob did somehow make it into this hall of faith. So how did this happen? Jacob had an encounter with God. Esau's chasing after him, wants to, wants to chase after him and kill him. And so uh, Jacob's mother kind of plans to kind of get him out of the area. And she tells him, go, go and live with your uncle, Laban. Go, go live with him. Get out of the area. Esau, won't, we won't, we'll convince him not to come after you. Just get out of the area, leave, and don't come back. Jacob leaves with basically the clothes on his back. He doesn't have a whole lot with him, maybe a staff in his hand. And he begins this journey to a new life. He thought he had it all, <laughs> and now he's penniless and poor, and he takes a nap and, and has an encounter with God, and God begins to speak to him, and this encounter is so life-changing that, that Jacob declares and makes a promise to God that from that moment on, he was going to live for the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, that he was going to begin to live a life of faith in this God because he encountered God in such a powerful way. Jacob's story is probably similar to many of our stories. I know it's similar to mine. Like Jacob, who grew up in a home that served a God and kind of was faithful to a God, saw his parents worshiping this God. I had parents who loved Jesus and they served Jesus. We went to church all the time. And when the church doors were open, we were there. And, and I grew up and I went to a Christian school. And so I understood all the Christian stuff. And, and at one point I had made a decision as a young man to, to say yes to Jesus, to invite Jesus into my heart. But I didn't really know what it meant to live by faith. So everything that I understood was living by kind of example of the people who'd gone before me, my parents and their example and the church and what they expected. And so I kind of lived in some ways, what you could say is more according to the law than according to the grace of God. And it was a struggle because every time I messed up, I was like, man, I, I, I'm too flawed. God can't use me anymore. Yeah, I know I'm forgiven, but he would never use me. And so I struggled. And, and between the sophomore and junior year of college, I was refing basketball games at this basketball camp. And I was basically like without a car, without any friends, and without anything to do on the weekends because the camp only ran for a few days, four days a week. And so I had Friday through Sunday to just kind of be to myself. And that year before, I had probably gotten as rebellious as I was going to get made a lot of poor decisions for myself, a lot of poor decisions that affected other people, was ashamed of my actions and my attitude, was as far away from feeling connected to God as I'd ever been. But for some reason, I brought my Bible and I brought my journal. And so when I was at my lowest point, about halfway through the series of about eight weeks of refing basketball camps, I started reading through Galatians. Paul talks about how the law is powerless to save us, but that it's by grace you're saved. And it just struck me. 
that I had been trying to live by the law, following all these rules that I could never live up to, and that God was calling me to live by faith. And, and so in that moment, I just began to write down all of the things that I had done. I began to confess all of the things that I'd done, and I began to just lay it all out before God and saying, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want a new life. I want to really, truly follow you. I, I truly want to be a disciple of yours. And so in that moment, on that dirty kind of dorm room carpet, I'm bawling, I'm crying, like snot bubbles coming out of my face. I'm like, nobody saw me, thank Jesus, right? And something happened. And I truly believe this, that it was that moment, that encounter that I had with God that, that shifted the whole trajectory of my life. Was I perfect from that point on? Absolutely not. Do I stand here before you perfect? Absolutely not. But that, that encounter changed the trajectory of my life and, and pointed me in the direction to where I am now. I would not be standing here if I had not had that encounter then. God had a bigger plan for me. At that time, I, I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. At that time, I had still not been called to go into ministry and to be a person that was gonna speak the truth to people and to help people understand God's word. At that point, that hadn't happened. I didn't know what God was calling me to, but I knew something was gonna be different. From that day forward, I was committed to living in the shadow of Jesus, to walk in his footsteps as best as I could, trying to grow each and every day. So when I read Jacob's story, when I remember my story, I'm reminded of this, and, and maybe this can be an encouragement to you. God loves to restore and redeem even the most flawed because it shows the length, the width, the height, and the depth of his amazing grace and his perfect love. We are all flawed. The question is, have you had an encounter with Jesus that's changed your life? Many of us in this room, I, I bet, could say yes. Jacob encountered God, but things didn't go according to his plan. He ends up at Jacob's play, or at Laban's place and says, hey, uh, can I live with you? Can I, can I kind of find shelter here? And Laban says, sure, but I need you to work in the fields for me. So he begins to work for him, and he kind of falls in love with his cousin. Don't get into the minutiae of that. But anyway, he falls in love with one of his cousins, and he's like, I want to marry her. And he says, all right, well, you're going to have to give me seven years of service before you can have her hand in marriage. So he says, all right, seven years it is. And then he gets married and finds out that the person he wanted to marry wasn't the one he married, okay? Like, there's a whole story there. If you want to read it, you can check it out. He ends up marrying the wrong sister, and then he says, no, 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 I still want to marry this other sister. Um, I still want to marry her, and so um, I'll work another seven years. He's like, sure, fine, work another seven years. 14 years, right? That wasn't his plan. He was deceived. Then he says, okay, um, I think, it, you know, I feel like God is calling me to go back to, back to, my land, but back to my home. And so Laban's like, sure, I'll let you go, um, but um, I need six more years out of you. So he works six more years. And finally, after 20 years of working for his uncle, he goes back to the land that God had promised him. Now, if you remember, Esau wanted to kill Jacob, and likely if he had seen him right away after all this deception, he would have killed him. But 20 years had passed. Jacob had grown. He'd matured. He'd, he'd been following God in faithfulness, and God had given him wisdom and how to kind of increase the flocks and, 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 and all of the things for his uncle. And so when, when he went to his uncle and said, hey, I'll take all the animals that aren't pure white or pure black. I'll take all the ones that are mixed. He's like, sure. And what he didn't realize was that Jacob, after working so long with those sheep, understood that if you mix a, a, a black-colored sheep and a white-colored sheep together, you're going to get more mixed-colored sheep than you'll have straight black and straight white. And so he ended up having more sheep 
than his uncle. He goes back and he's afraid because he's thinking that Esau's gonna wanna kill him. See, he's humbled. He's learned his lesson. He recognizes that what he did was wrong. And in fact, he comes to the point where he sends all these offerings and all these things to Esau, basically begging for his grace, begging for his forgiveness. See, Jacob was a man who was a deceiver, was a trickster, was a liar. When he encountered God, his life was transformed. And God began to use that intelligent mind, that strategic mind for his good purposes. And in the process, he also was humbled because he himself had been tricked. He understood what that felt like. And so when he approached Esau, he truly felt sorrow for what he had done. Thankfully, God had moved in Esau's life and he had come to a place where he had forgiven his brother as well. Stories don't always end like that, but what we can understand is this, that when we surrender our flawed lives to God, he will take what we offer and he will use it for his good purposes. He has a way of doing that with all of us. When we start living out God's story for us, we have to understand that it won't always go the way we think or as we think it should according to our plan, but it goes according to God's sovereign plan. The journey may include some difficult and confusing seasons and and it may require us to face the consequences of our past choices. But because we are living by faith, putting our belief into action, living a life of obedience to who God is and what he's calling us to, we can put trust and rest in the hope of the promise that in Romans chapter 8, 28 says, Paul writes this, he says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If we've encountered God and we're living by faith in God, all of those things that are ahead of us in life are organized and put forth by God's great plan. God is taking our flaws and making them into flagstones for our journey of faith. He's taking our flaws and turning them into flagstones, things we can walk on in our journey of faith. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come. And as they do that, I would like everyone to just kind of close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes and begin to consider this. I want you to consider your life right now at this moment and ask yourself, am I living for my own desires? Am I pursuing things in a way that might hurt others? Am I living by faith or by fear? Today is a great day to surrender to the God of creation and to get your life back on track, moving toward what God wants for you. And that will lead you to a full life. Maybe like me, some of you need to recognize that trying to be perfect by the standards of man is an unattainable goal. You can confess right now and begin to live by faith, begin to live in obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading, begin to live a life of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and self-control. Today, your relationship with God can change in a moment if you come to him with confession and repentance in your heart. Some of you here today are living like Jacob before meeting God. You're living for yourself. You're allowing your fleshly desires to control your life. And it's led you to a life that is less than you ever imagined. 
Today, like Jacob, you can choose to surrender your life to the will of the Father in heaven. You can receive the forgiveness that was paid for when Jesus lived a perfect life, when he died a sinner's death, and when he rose victorious over sin and death. All it takes is a confession of your flawed state and your belief that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he offers you forgiveness, that those sins are thrown into eternity. As far as the east is from the west, God has thrown our sins and our transgressions from us. He no longer sees them because of what Jesus has done and will do in your life. You are not too flawed to be forgiven today. And if you're ready, I would love to lead you in a simple prayer that can help you make your confession and declaration of faith in God today. So if you're ready for your life to be transformed from the inside out, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, I confess, I am a sinner. I believe you are the only one who can forgive my sins and transform my life. I receive your forgiveness, your grace and your mercy. Jesus, help me to live by faith, expressed in action, today and all of my tomorrows. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for Thrive Online this week. For more information about our church, go to thrivesquim.com and fill out a connection card. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will see you next week, either in person or right here on the Thrive Online podcast.